show. Today, I'm looking at the Catholic podcast scene in honour of our new Catholic president, only the second Catholic to be elected to the top job after JFK, also in honour of the leader of Congress, Nancy Pelosi, a Catholic, and in honour of the Supreme Court, which is like, what, two-thirds Catholic now? So as a non-Catholic, non-religious person who doesn't believe that Jesus is magic and with the knowledge backed by science and statistical analysis that things like prayer are just superstitions, you know, psychological self-soothing techniques born from our need to explain and control the big scary unknowns of existence, this has been a pretty strange and exhausting listening trip for me these past few weeks. And the Catholic podcast scene is pretty big. There are a lot of them, so it's impossible for me to be comprehensive in just one take. So this is more like an opening salvo, a provisional sample. I'm drilling down a hole into the iceberg and doing a tasting. I'm getting uh, notes of zealotry, delusion and hypocrisy. And what is, what's that, what's that flavor? I'd say repression, yeah. Deep repression, cave-aged sexual repression with undertones of, of burning, like a, a jockstrap patriarchy with, uh, with like a jarring, a jarring hint of stale milk, the moldy rotting of medieval relics oh yes yes and then the finish there it is a strong aftertaste of opium it's review First up is the Father Mike Schmidt's show, Ascension. Father Mike is a 45-year-old Catholic father up in Minnesota, and uh, he trades on the classic gosh-darn-it Ned Flanders nicety uh, of a lot of religious people, the wolf-in-sheep-clothing approach. Because it appears harmless, um, but it's really just a facade ready to unleash an overpowering tsunami of Catholic ego at a moment's notice. Okay, so for years I was like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? You want me to be a priest? Not, not a priest, I don't know. 
And so sometimes there was this wrestling match, even when I got to seminary, this is where the real wrestling happens, right? Where it's just like, okay, I'm going back and forth. And I'm like, God, like, I don't know, sometimes there's pain and sometimes there's, there's joy, but sometimes there's a real sorrow and sometimes there's real happiness. But just like this back and forth, to stay away from God in that, to not wrestle with Him, would A, be keeping your distance from the Lord, would B, not being authentic, not being honest with the Lord, because when we wrestle with God, we're being honest and saying, God, here's what I truly want, but you're calling me somewhere else. And it's, your, it's that process of conforming your heart to His heart, to for, the process of love, learning to love what He loves. That's what happens when we're wrestling. What can you say, really? Fortunately, I'm immune to the illogical jibber-jabber of this one tribe of religion because I was not captured by them at birth. But Catholicism is super important and very fascinating. It's, you know, been with us for a long time, a couple of thousands of years of human history. And we are a story-based species. It's our strength and also our weakness. And the Catholic Church is an epic story. And they are also absolute masters of narrative manipulation. I mean, right back to when they were funding artists to produce hundreds of thousands of oil paintings promoting their white supremacist image of Jesus and then using those paintings to round up support for the Crusades and pushing the agenda of kings and other criminal gangs. They are literally the hands behind a thousand blood-drenched iron thrones. You know, the history is really quite grim and nasty at turns and it encompasses everything from the imprisonment of slaughter of Native Americans, from colonial monsters like Saint Junipero Serra, to the recent participation by actual Catholic priests and nuns in the Rwandan genocide. And then at other times, you know, the history is quite hilariously fantastical. Like, you know, the creation and trading in holy relics. Like the Virgin Mary's milk or the holy foreskin. So anyway... For the billions and billions of my fellow humans out there who do not think Jesus is magic in all the ways that Christians claim he is, the nutshell take of people like Father Mike with this podcast is that they think God, the infinite super being who created the world, sent himself disguised as a carpenter to the Middle East as, quote, the saviour of mankind. And this podcast is called Ascension, which links it to the Catholic story of the Ascension of Christ. Because, you know, Jesus wasn't merely a mild-mannered janitor. I mean, sorry, carpenter. <laughs> I got mixed up there with uh, Hong Kong Fui. <laughs> you know, there, there were so many of these superhero yarns, it's, uh, it's hard to keep them all straight. You know, you got Marvel, Tolkien, Edict Norse poems, the Bhagavad Gita... But anyway, in Catholicism, God, the all-powerful super-being, is pretending to be a mild-mannered carpenter in the Middle East somewhere until he discovers he has these intermittent magic powers, as recorded in the collection of stories known as the Bible. And uh, what did he do? Well, he had, these great, he had this great catering power where there was suddenly this big party, and this was before DoorDash, and uh, they only had like a few loaves and a bit of unrefrigerated fish. But then, Jesus, abracadabra, sushi for 5,000 people. And then uh, another time, he went to a wedding. And you know what that's like, free bar, but it gets expensive. So they run out. And then Jesus, abracadabra, your adequate but dank well water is now Chateau Neuf de Pape. 
you know, the good stuff. You know, thinking about it, a lot of magic done by religious figures does involve food. It is quite a common theme. Muhammad did a bunch of them. Um, he fed an army before a battle. And he also catered a big wedding as well. Made figgy pudding for everyone out of a couple of dates. And then uh, getting more modern, you know, the food miracle in Scientology, I think. Which, you know, hard to know. They're very secretive. Um, but the, their food miracle is if you get to like a level nine, uh, then you, you just have these slaves appear uh, that cook and buy all your food. Who else? The Mormons, of course. <laughs> they claim Joseph Smith made the best stone soup. Um, an angel gave him the recipe on a golden tablet, but uh, but he lost it. But, you know, it did happen. It did. It did happen, honest. North Korean living gods in the uh, Kim Jong-un family are really good at taking rice from the mouths of children and turning it into Russian caviar for themselves. And what else? Well, the Buddha, of course. What can I say? Um, you know, he's not just big boned. His his bowl runneth over. And no, no, no. Don't start on me. I'm not fat shaming the Buddha. I I love the jolly guy. You know, that marvellous, mischievous twinkle in his eye. Really good vibes coming from him. Same with Ganesha, the elephant god. You know, he's he's on the on the larger side. You know, their, their graven images are uh, pointing towards humour and complexity and away from, say, the depiction of torture like some religious statues they try to hold over you. So, yeah, you know, all these food miracles make sense when you think a lot of them were written by people in hungry times. <laughs> but um, back to Catholic Jesus... Uh, I don't want to do him a disservice because uh, it wasn't just food-based superpowers. There was other stuff. Um, there was something about leprosy, I think. Uh, I think he cured a leper. Well, you know, we can cure a leper now with a couple of tablets. But again, it was a big deal back in the day. And, uh, and his big one, coming back to the ascension, Jesus' big trick was returning back to life and then ascending to heaven. Which Father Mike has such a giant celibate boner for with his podcast. So anyway, the Ascension story is Jesus, who is the all-powerful manifestation of an infinite God, pulling this stunt where he allows himself to be killed, crucified on the cross, and then his body is hidden in a cave, but then it disappears, and they couldn't find his body. And some people said... Oh, you put it in that cave where the jackals eat all the dead bodies. And then they were like, no, 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 not that cave. Another cave, actually. And I put a big rock in front of it to stop the jackals. And when I went back, the big the big rock that couldn't have possibly moved by anybody. Well, how did you put it there? It couldn't have possibly been moved by anybody. Okay, calm down. It was moved and his body was gone except for a shroud with sweat stains on it. You know, and then Jesus appeared to a few random folks on their own. And uh, and then uh, some other people were like, you know, you guys are a bit weird. Um, we all saw Jesus die on the cross. And you can't even get your story straight on what his last words were. And, uh, you know, we think he was probably just eaten by jackals or one of you weirdies have taken him away to uh, eat bits of him. 
and uh, the early church was like no he came back alive and he came back alive totally normal not like a zombie because he was really god and uh and then people were like oh so he didn't really die for our sins then no he did die for our sins he came back and you need to thank us now because you are a sinner and if you communicate your wishes with him telepathically and eat his flesh then you will be saved and people were like oh so you are a cannibal cult and then they were like ah you're going to hell unbeliever and they started attacking them and then eventually people after many many wars said okay have it your way um just don't kill me um but is there any chance we can still have the big fertility party in spring that we always love and uh, the church was like yeah 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 spring yeah yeah we always like yeah we love that party too yeah we'll work something out and it was like can we have cake too and they were like yeah we can have cake and chocolate don't worry about it and they were like what's chocolate oh don't worry we'll create this whole thing where it's fine for us to go over and uh, steal it at sword point from some uh, peasants over there yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um father mike and company have really wrapped themselves up in this bizarre story of the ascension but the underlying conceit of it and it is very conceited i mean what can you call it really peddling a thousand year old myth as fact and putting yourself in charge of it like a gatekeeper so that if you follow Father Mike Smith, who is so, so nice, you know, like Minnesota nice, you will be able to achieve ascension to heaven. Get the golden ticket to Sugar Candy Mountain, where you can uh, hang with the magic carpenter dude for all eternity. Yeah, you know, it's odd to me to hear this podcast and try and understand where he's coming from. Because, you know, and people have been killed trying to work out this ascension stuff over the centuries. I mean, just look at the fight over the holy prepuce, the holy foreskin of Christ. That in itself is fascinating reading. I'll link to some of the stuff in the transcript, but in a nutshell, Christ, a Jew, was circumcised, and then the early church saved his foreskin as a magic relic, and at one point there were ten of them doing the rounds in the medieval world, kind of like a touring circus. A touring circus of magic cockskin. <laughs> Roll up, roll up, see the skin of God's cock. Oh, Daddy, do we have to go to the circus again? It's boring. Yes, son, we do. It's the only way you're going to get to see Mummy in heaven. But why did they have to kill her, Daddy? She had to be stoned to death because she tried to work on a Sunday. <laughs> I know it sounds, it sounds mad, but that's the holy prepuce, the holy foreskin. It's real catholic church history uh but then whatever they were smoking at the vatican wore off a bit and they realized they had to get rid of them because you know if you have a bit of the skin of the christ hanging around it, it blows an in, a massive hole in jesus's evaporation ascension to heaven thing i know it sounds utterly batshit crazy and for a time you know the the church even tried to get away with saying jesus's holy foreskin became the rings around saturn so, yeah, this podcast, bottom line, I'm not sure it's totally healthy to be listening to people like Father Mike peddling this nonsense anymore. Now, I know what you're saying. You think the Catholic Church and the Church in general does 
various mysterious good in various communities. You know, you're saying, but, 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 Andy, surely the modern Catholic Church in Minnesota is a moral force for good. Well, okay, let's 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 think about that for a second. Uh, apart from being part of a church that is still mired in a what going on forty years hideous worldwide abuse scandal. Um, that in itself is just the latest depravity of a church with a deep history of horror. You know, Magdalene slave laundries, just a re another recent example. But, you know, apart from that, you're going to say, you know, Father Mike does sound so nice. He must know right from wrong. He must be a strong moral compass for his people. And, you know, that's hard to measure the impact of of a man's preaching in a community. Okay, maybe it is. But let's look at where he was on the last election, shall we? Was he for the continued caging and separation of kids on our border or against it? Was he for installing Trump and his cadre of corruption as our new dictator? Or was he against it? Was he for or was he against the white supremacist terrorism unleashed? on our communities by a triple divorce bankrupt. Politics. Um, politics are important, right? They're, 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 a, they're an important part of civil life. They're an important part of community life. Um, they're an important part of living on purpose. They serve a purpose. Okay, wonderful, fantastic. So what is my responsibility? Well, I have, we, you, if, if we're citizens in a, in a representative republic, we have responsibility. And that responsibility is to educate ourselves. That responsibility is probably also to uh, have conversations with people around us about what we're learning, to have our, our, our thoughts, our opinions, our perspectives refined, shaped, you know, formed towards, oriented towards the truth. And then our, our, our responsibility is to vote once, <laughs> once, once per election cycle. Anything else than that, anything other than that is a distraction. Yup, that's the extent of it. Basically telling people to only vote once, essentially buying into and promoting the big Trumpium lie that there uh, is election fraud because black people and minorities cheat and vote twice, which is just heaping yet more evil and infamy on black skin. How is it that there's people like Father Mike who haven't seen the outrageous lines and hardship they enforce on black communities uh, on voting day to stop them voting? If you're in a poor black district in this country it is not easy for you to vote you will have to wait all day i mean my experience is different in the predominantly white neighborhoods that i've lived and voted in it usually takes about five to ten minutes huge discrepancies in this country so in the little eight minute episode podcast called distraction uh he mentions how not to vote more than once on two different occasions. And then he has a, like a very sly pop at diversity, a very, in a very weird and tentative way, which, while not being uh, outrightly bigoted, does manage to throw shade on diversity in such a way as to wink at his white supremacist church congregation. And this at a time during protests about the never-ending murder of black people at the hands of racist cops. So yeah, Father Mike doesn't sound like an outright bigot, certainly. 
But as Eli Wessel put it, when condemning the Catholic Church as appalling chumminess to Hitler and the Nazi Party during the Second World War and before, as they built and enacted the Holocaust, he's, you know, using silence to side with the oppressor. And what's worse is that Father Mark's up in Minnesota, and it's been quite a sticky time for him, what with the police murdering George Floyd on his doorstep. You could tell from the podcast that he was obviously feeling the heat about this. And he did put together a special longer episode with a black Catholic father after uh, the murder of Ahmed Arbery and um, George Floyd. And it was a very interesting conversation. The whole thing itself, though, was uh, a tender exposition of white fragility. Here's a clip. So I'm the co-chair for our Commission on Racial Harmony. I was invited to go... Um, give a talk to the principal and her, her her faculty and staff to help them to discern what do we do with this situation. And so the first thing I did was I went to go spend time with Jesus in the Adoration Chapel because before I give difficult conversations, I always ask him to give me the gift of tongues um, so that I can only say that what she wants me to say. And I ask him to give the audience the gift of interpretation of tongues so that they will only hear that which he wants them to hear for their sanctification. So I'm That's in the chapel. Oh, dude, yeah, That's... use it anytime. Did, did you hear that bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm going to pray for the gift of tongues, too. Can you believe that? Grown men here, bonding over Catholic cosplay. I mean, no wonder the world is in the state it's in. I mean, the things that need to happen. We need to stop qualified immunity for the police, actually fire and prosecute and root out racist stormtrooper cops, and uh, then we need to rebuild the justice system so it's the same laws are enforced on the rich as it is for the poor. And then we need to look at where all communities' taxes are spent and uh, stop wasting money on all the bloated police budgets and fund schools. It's common sense. But um, maybe it's just easy for me because I don't have my head wedged up the ass of an imaginary magic carpenter. But back to the clip. The uh, the black Catholic father from Louisiana does, uh, does drop a bit of wisdom on the Minnesota brother. Um, so uh, I'm in the chapel with the Lord. And I'm looking at the artwork and the statues and, oh man, I'm like, man, look at this. Like, uh, like Jesus is white, which is fine. Jesus can be white. And when he appears in apparitions, he appears like the people he appears to. Um, Mary was white. Um, Joseph was white. And St. Michael was white. Um, and, and, and the only dark image I can remember was of Satan. You know, like, oh man, like what's, what's going on with, with this particular, yeah. they don't have that statue anymore. But say oh man like this and then i walk through the hallways and it's like white statue white painting white artwork white this and it's a very diverse school it's like man like i wonder if they noticed this and so the first thing i did with them was i gave them an experiment i said imagine if if you went to a a church you were invited to a church called saint charles Luanga, whose feast day it is today um and and you were you were white and your your friends were black and you walked in the church and god was black and Mary was black and Jesus was black and all the angels and saints were black. And the only white image was of Satan. And you asked the question like, hey, like maybe we could like add a few white angels and a few white saints in here too. I mean, the body of Christ is very diverse. And people said, yeah, you know what? No, that's just the way it is. That's just the way right. it is. This is the way it's always been. Yeah. You got the uh, black Catholic father there broaching on some things he's noticed about the historically white supremacist church institution he's carrying water for. Hmm. So he drops that bit of knowledge, but they don't complete the thought and go through with the thought process, tying in the fact, recognising that maybe 2,000 years 
of the church demonizing and slaughtering non-white people might have something to do with how the police in America are able to dehumanize black lives today. But they don't do that. They don't make that connection. It's not their job to make that connection. They're earning their not in the church, spreading their lies. What they do do is they go back to the same old prayer together, listen, yes, things have got to change, and then they'll do nothing. Because religion is the ultimate opium to put people to sleep. I forget who said that. I'll look it up and uh, put a link to it in the transcript. So the Father Mike Schmidt show gets no thumbs up. I suppose one star for not going full Trump on us. Um, and he gets a Jim Morrison. You cannot petition the Lord with prayer! A bit of Jill Scott Heron. I have believed in my convictions and have been convicted for my beliefs conned by the Constitution and harassed by the police. I have been billed for the Bill of Rights and treated like I was wrong. I have become a special amendment for what included me all along, like all men are created equal. Well, no amendment needed there. I have contributed in every field, including cotton, from Sunset Strip to Washington Square. And back during the nonviolent era, well, hell, I was the only nonviolent one. As a matter of fact, there was no nonviolence because too many rednecks had guns. There seemed to have been this pattern that a lot of folks failed to pick up on. But all black leaders who dared to stand up was in jail, in the courtroom, or gone. Picked up indiscriminately by the shock troops of discrimination to end up in jails or tied up in trials while dirty tricks soured the nation. I've been hoodwinked by professional hoods. My ego has happened to me. It'll be all right. Just keep things cool and take the people off the street. We'll settle all this at the conference table. You just leave everything to me which gets me back to my convictions and being convicted for my beliefs. Because I believe these smiles in three-piece suits with gracious liberal demeanor took our movement off of the streets and took us to the cleaners. In other words, we let up the pressure, and that was all part of their plan, and every day we allow it to slip through our fingers is playing right into their hands. The New Deal. And a cover-up. The head of the Catholic Church in Ireland has apologised unreservedly to tens of thousands of women and children, the survivors of homes for unmarried mothers and babies, often run by the church, after an inquiry revealed around 9,000 children died over the decades. At one institution in County Galway, almost 800 died, and it's thought many of them were buried in a sewage system. Next up is the Dr. Taylor Marshall Catholic podcast. Now, this is a very, very popular show as far as I can tell. It is massively more influential than Father Mike with listeners in the 100,000 range. Um, this guy's a sort of minor celebrity on the far right, and maybe we should be a little dubious about his real reach um, because, you know, half of Trump's Twitter following was bots hosted on servers in Russia. And Taylor Marshall is a big Trump acolyte and Catholic traditionalist. He's a fan of medieval history. And uh, as he talks and, and pulls out uh, his medieval history background, he does sound like a character from a Dan Brown book. So let's pray and get into it. In nomine Patris, et Fidei, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. St. Thomas Becket, pray for us. In nomine Patris, et Fidei, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. What's the way to political power and prestige in this world? Heresy, apostasy, 
You become perfidious so that you can gain some power. We see that today with the Jesuits, perfidious Jesuits. Perfidious Jesuits. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I love that. Wow. Perfidious Jesuits. What a great band name. So get this. He's so into Trump that he doesn't count Biden, Pelosi, Justice Kennedy, and even Pope Francis as real Catholics because they are nowhere near fundamentalist enough for him. In fact, he's pushing a book that he self-published that believes the church has been taken over by Freemasons who worship Satan, and they are leading the church away from its fundamentalist roots. <laughs> Incredible. I think I've stumbled into an internecine turf war amongst the crazies. Perfidious Jesuits. Just brilliant. I think his whole church is perfidious, you know, taking billions from the taxpayer-funded first COVID relief bill under Trump when you don't even pay taxes yourself and then sitting on it because you don't even need it while, you know, dioceses like Rochester up in New York are just claiming bankruptcy to try and avoid another big payout on another big abuse case. That's perfidious, sitting on all that money, trying to see how you can maybe use the money to pay off your global trillion-dollar abuse debts or funnel it into your white supremacist school systems. That's perfidious. Waking up knowing all this stuff about your church but still going out there and choosing to be a Catholic, that's perfidious. But no... He thinks his church is perfidious because the bishops haven't burnt Dr. Fauci at the stake in the Rose Garden. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. It's still a great name for a band. We are the perfidious Jesuits. We scoped from the Indians out of their land and told them while smiling it was like a blank. Hope us they had better pray, but they haven't got a hope. While they were fucking all the kids, we went and stole the boat. We went, we went. We went and stole the Pope. While they were fucking all the kids, we went and stole the Pope. <laughs> so this guy got a big popularity boost in 2019 by funding a uh, white supremacist stunt during a Vatican Synod where the Vatican was trying to build a few bridges that they'd burned down under previous colonialist administrations against Amazonian indigenous communities. And they'd all got together for a kumbaya moment uh, on Vatican property in Rome. And the uh, there was a gift from some indigenous Amazon tribe to the Pope of some Pacamama fertility statues. Um, and, you know, Pope Francis accepted them with good grace and placed them on a special table in uh, in a side chapel of a Roman church. But this guy, Taylor Marshall... 
this would-be Cortez from his podcast YouTube Kingdom, funded two fascist goons to break into the church, steal the statues and throw them in the Tiber River. And you know, they filmed it and it made him super popular on uh, Parlour and and YouTube. And, uh, and there we have it. Clearly a real nice guy. <laughs> so he's based in Texas and uh, I think actually near the place that reported 50 uh, hospitalizations for drinking bleach when Trump was touting that as a possible cure for COVID. So he's literally operating on fertile ground for those who wish to profit from the weak-minded. And he's doing very well for himself by the looks of things. He's anti-mask. And of course, he jumped fully on the insurrectionist bandwagon um, to the point, uh, quite disturbingly, of calling for martyrs to do violent martyr stuff um, to steal the election for Trump. Modernists, soft, effeminate, lax cardinals and bishops, popes who deny the miracles of Jesus Christ, ecumenism that puts other religions and idols and other gods above the most holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In 2020, we see what King Henry II wanted 850 years ago, and that is weak, soft, effeminate, feckless bishops. And today, we are reminded that the crown of martyrdom is the way forward. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. I think it's going to be worse. That's just a guess. I don't know. But in 2021, we need this. Thomas Beckett saying to the king with all his executive powers, no, you cross the line. Instead, what do we see in 2020? Bishops bowing down to the governors. Bishops bowing down on mask mandates, social distancing. Oh, you can't come to mass unless you sign up on a sign-up sheet. We're going to keep pews empty on Christmas because why? Yeah. So again, this is one of the most popular Catholic shows, firmly in the canon of right-wing propaganda, cheerleading white supremacist terrorism. And we know where this kind of drumbeat for intolerance from the right wing leads us. It leads us to Kyle Rittenhouse, the kid crossing state lines with an AK-47 to kill people at a protest. It leads to the national suicide bomber that took out cell towers, but thankfully no people over the holidays. It leads to the invasion of the Capitol building. One dead cop, another one beaten senseless by a mob swinging the, the stars and stripes. The Confederate flag of race hatred paraded through our government halls by people who believe Trump is the saviour. I honestly don't know how anyone is down with this. I mean, even Catholics who view all humanity as steeped in sin and therefore perhaps worthy of eternal hellfire. It's ultimately a grim view that devalues human life and creates needless suffering, which they then are in the great position to exploit. When you try to understand this mindset, um, as I have been, I guess it all comes back to the issue of abortion, which is the, you know, the elephant in the room, because abortion is the big wedge issue of propaganda that has united uh, Catholics in this country with the evangelical Taliban um, to the point of them willing to commit insurrection and sacrifice any claim to a basic morality because of this one issue 
it really seems that they are happy to see stormtroopers marching from the Bible Belt because they have been screamed at over and over that life begins at conception. And of course this kind of rhetoric is really profitable. It's profitable for Taylor Marshall, Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, Newt Gringrich and all these other bellowing evil right-wing zealots that have shown him the way, profiting from division and pain. So the Taylor Marshall Catholic show, riding Trump's coattails to the top of the religious podcast charts, he gets zero stars, a rather weak papal apology for their participation in the Rwandan genocide. The Pope had a meeting with Paul Kagame, the president of Rwanda. They greeted each other with this handshake. The Pope explained why the press was present. The Pope expressed his grief over the genocide committed against the Tutsis and apologized for the sins and failings of the church and its members, among whom priests and religious men and women who succumbed to hatred and violence. At the exchange of gifts, the president gave the Pope a tribal scepter. Pope Francis, on his part, gave him a medallion with the inscription, The desert will become a garden. And a new sketch about the holy foreskin. In the late 17th century, under the new reign of Pope Alexander VII, the Vatican Council was struggling to manage the Catholic brand out of the Middle Ages and into the Enlightenment. The highly profitable trading and display of holy relics was a cause for concern, and the most troubling of these was the holy prepuce, the circumcised foreskin of Jesus Christ, which was reputed to have magic powers. This is a call between a senior Vatican Council secretary and the Bishop of Antwerp, who owned the Holy Foreskin. Hey, Bish baby, long time no see. How you doing? How are those altar boys treating you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the honeymoon phase. He's still trying on all the hats, touching all the frescoes. You know, he he had me check if he could excommunicate a whole country the other day. What? Yeah, yeah. France. <laughs> he thinks they're too much trouble. What? <laughs> of course we're not going to let him do it. Anyway, thanks for calling. Um, yeah, look, it's bad news. We're really serious about the Holy Foreskin. It's got to go. If... If Jesus ascended to heaven, then he would have taken that bit with him. Think about it. Don't start talking Latin, man. The foreskin has got to go. Look, you can keep all of the titty milk of the Virgin Mother, right? No, it is a big difference. It is a big difference. She was mortal. And also, there could be lots of milk. Even if it was only a drop collected at every feeding. I don't know what the current line is. I don't know. Joseph collected it from a wet, soiled sack bra or something. Look, it's not important. We'll work it out. But the cockskin of the Christ 
has got to go. We're prepared to make it up to you. Maybe a sainthood. Anything's possible. Just take a second to think about it. If the cockskin is still around, it blows the whole Ascension story wide open. Yes, it is weird when you think about it. Well, you know Jewish mothers. <laughs> right. And then, there's the whole race thing. Yeah. You know, we've put a lot of effort into making him wider than Snow White's tits. And having that bit of foreskin around, and let's be honest, from God knows where those barbarians picked it up. Yeah. What I'm saying is it might prove to be uh, a little less than Aryan. Black man. Yeah? Very white, very white. Well, how big is it? You've got it with you? It's on my desk. On your desk? Paperweight. You use it as a paperweight? It's a bit small. It's quite small. Well, you know, Bish, there is such a thing as shrinkage. The Vatican is very clear on shrinkage. And what colour is it? The myrrh. It's hard to tell for all the myrrh. Well, that's a blessing, I suppose. Yeah. Look, it's all moot anyway. It's got to go. What? What of us? There's more of them? Ten. Ten? You see, Bish, this is what I'm talking about. You guys in the fields are losing your minds. How could one Christ have left ten foreskins? Vishnu. But he's not Vishnu, is he? We didn't go that route. Even the most downbeaten, brainwashed, half-starved, bog-trotting troglodyte would work that out eventually. Oh, sorry. So who has them? Charlemagne. Gifts from Charlemagne. Well, we're back to the French again, aren't we? Seriously, Bish, how long did you think we were going to get away with this? Forever. Well, they've all got to go. Oh. It's really simple. One Christ... White as snow, with one penis that was circumcised, yeah. one holy foreskin yeah. that was saved by Mother Mary under instructions from the angels for reasons we'd rather not go into, yeah. but which then evaporated with him from the mortal realm when he ascended to heaven. It's not difficult. Well, Bish, I think you're making it difficult. Well, where is it then? Now you're just being obtuse. Is it a cock ring? Of course he's not just sitting around up there with it on a keychain. Interesting. Bish. Interesting. Bish. Interesting. Come on. We're not going to add it to the Sistine Chapel. And that's another thing. The telescopes aren't going to go away, are they? Yeah. They're just going to keep coming. They're going to get bigger. They're going to get better. And we can't just keep burning scientists. Not anymore. Why? It's counterproductive. Aww. We've got to play the long con. Listen, we do have a plan. What is it? I'll tell you what it is. You know Leo in the library? Yeah. Alatius, Leo Alatius, smart kid. Greek, I think. Ah. Well, he's come up with this thing. It's, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to kill two birds with one foreskin. Yeah. Get this. When our boy ascended to heaven, the foreskin went... And became the rings around Saturn. What? Yeah, you like it? Yeah, maybe. Well, you know, I'm not an astronomer, but it makes sense. And it's a magic foreskin, right? Yeah, magic, magic. Of course they'll buy it. 
There's one born every minute. And trust me, Bish, we're going to get that down to one a second. Yeah. Okay, good talk. Yeah, okay, bye. And Bish, yeah? take it easy on those altar boys. I know, I know. Okay, ciao. As you can probably guess, I'm a big fan of Bob Newhart and uh, homage to his one-sided phone call routines there. Bobby's turning 92 this year. I think I'll send him that sketch as some uh, birthday fan mail. Um, He is Catholic. I'll thank him for all the laughs and inspiration um, while laughing about the history of his faith. (laughs) I like to imagine that he'll take it well. I mean, I'm sure he won't actually hear about it. I mean, he probably is so famous, he has people. But, you know, I I like to imagine he wouldn't take it badly. I like to imagine perhaps he's not the Taylor Marshall kind of Catholic who is uh, humorless. Um, But I don't know him personally. But I'm guessing he's probably your average, you know, part-time Catholic, high holidays, no confession. I don't know whatever that's called. Maybe it's called a Biden Catholic. Not quite pro-gay, but not quite anti-gay. Not quite pro-choice, but not quite pro-life, as understood by the extreme pro-life Christian Taliban crowd. Yeah, maybe that's the Biden Catholics. Anyway, next up is a show called The Catholic Feminist from Claire Swinarski. This lady started her podcast to try and create a safe space for women who are fully indoctrinated into the Catholic Church, but who are also beginning to resent the overbearing patriarchy of the church and the narrow baby-making place of womanhood within it. So, because she feels like she is considered a daring feminist by the super-conservative crowd of her church, but is clearly also not really an actual feminist by other women who will not be told what they can and can't do with their bodies by indoctrinated patriarchal lapdogs like Claire Swinarski, she decides she can call herself a Catholic feminist in much the same way as some Muslim women try to argue that wearing the full hijab is actually uh, a super feminist liberation. Yeah, so I feel sad for her. as she, You know, she really neither fits in either place, the modern world or the medieval thought space of her church. Um, that pays lip service to equality, but does not actually support female equality. As Taylor Marshall uh, says repeatedly on his more popular Catholic show, The Father is a he, the Son is a he, the third person, the Holy Ghost, is a he. Not a it. Don't ever say it. He. (laughs) Uh, That's good. Uh, That's new for me. I'm using one show to heckle another one. (laughs) So, Claire Swinarski is very earnest of her love of the church, and she's deeply anti-abortion. And I think this is the issue uh, that I just touched on that's been confusing me, because I came into this review of Catholic podcasts expecting to find much more love for Biden and Pelosi. But I understand now, life starts at conception for them, which is nonsense, no matter how much they try to bend and misrepresent the science to prove their point they see abortion at any time as the actual murder of babies which again it isn't before what is it like 22 or 23 weeks it 
actually isn't. I mean, I don't want to rehash all the pro-choice arguments out there, but in terms of this Catholic feminist podcast, I think it's important to say um, that one of the single most important factors for the advancement of women in society is giving women control over their own bodies and fertility. Without that, they are trapped by the mundane mammalian realities of pregnancy, of childbirth, of childrearing. And every attempt to limit women's reproductive freedoms are just ways of keeping women in their place, subservient forever and not equal to men. And when you are coming from a constructed male-serving system, such as the Catholic Church, you cannot with a straight face call yourself a feminist. I'm sorry, Claire. Words matter. The use of words matter. You are not a feminist. You're a church handmaiden, chafing at the mental change placed on you. But you're unable, due to indoctrination from birth, to free yourself from them. Florence Kennedy said it best. If men could get pregnant, then abortion would be sacrament. So she began this podcast in 2017 and reached the incredibly high total of 176 episodes before uh, just ending this show in November. And her reason for quitting is that God told her to stop it. You know, I, I, I love it when religious people pull out the old God told me to do this or that thing. You know, this all-powerful being who could end child cancer is uh, appearing to you to get you to start and then stop a podcast. Madness. I know, I know, it's just harmless fun, isn't it? Until it isn't. She has episodes about how Christians are really the ones being persecuted around the world. And she has, unsurprisingly, lots of episodes of anti-abortion and how even things like egg donation and surrogacy are against God's plan. The episode talking about how to frame racial justice in a God-honouring way is truly head-spinning. Uh, Claire brings up her issue of what she sees as the mass murder of children in abortion as a more important problem. Because it is, it trumps everything, really, doesn't it? And then she highlights Joe Biden telling a black activist that he ain't black, which was an awful moment on the campaign trail, just, just gone. But, you know, if you're going to just spotlight the Democratic candidate for criticism and ignore the hourly outpouring of racist hate speech from Republicans, I think we kind of know what moral side you're lining up on. And it's not the side of MLK. More like the side of all the Christians who use the Bible to justify slavery. Which was very easy to do because, you know, the Bible doesn't actually condemn slavery. It just asks you to be a bit nicer to your slaves. Which is why slave owners were so happy to uh, inject their property with the magic carpenter bit in the first place. It's great is Christianity for... Uh, making people meek and mild and subservient. It's better than opium, really. I don't know who came up with that uh, analogy, but he was onto something. So, the Catholic feminist, just, uh, and also, Lesai, uh, gets zero stars. Hey, Bill Hicks. Oh, childbirth is such a miracle, such a miracle. Wrong! <laughs> No more a miracle than eating food, having a turd fall out of your butt. 
It is a chemical, biological reaction. The end. Case closed. The end. You want to hear a miracle? Okay. A miracle's raising a kid who doesn't talk at a fucking movie theater. That is a miracle. A Sinead O'Connor ripping up the Pope's picture in uh, 1993. We have confidence in the victory of good over evil. Fight the real enemy. I mean, what did the Pope represent to you? Interestingly, what people don't know is that First of all, we in Ireland knew 10 years before you all did about child abuse within the Catholic Church. We had evidence. Um, the photo itself had been on my mother's bedroom wall all my life. I was genuinely very angry with what the church were doing. Next podcast up is The Catholic Man Show. These are two lads from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who are trying to have fun being Catholic men. Um, but, you know, being full of Catholic guilt and sin with heads crammed full of the uh, apologetics, which is the empty academic exercise in trying to defend magical thinking through rhetorical tricks, it makes it really hard work, you know, to actually um, be any fun. I think it's very informative uh, to watch out for spaces where humour is outlawed, where solemnity rules... You know, in the house of the frowning god. Our god is a frowning god who tortured himself. Be guilty, be guilty, be guilty. You know, because if you let joy and laughter in to the house of the frowning god, um, you'd be rolling in the eyes at all the silly gold hats and, uh, you know, amazed the incredulity of why people are giving them money for a show that uh, essentially tells them they're pieces of shit. But these Catholic men try to be fun in their way, primarily by sampling a new alcohol every episode and testing a new man tool or bespoke hipster item. Uh, men, beer, tools, objects... Yes, each episode is a flimsy Trojan horse of Catholic indoctrination. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles. We are without one this evening, so it is inevitable that some of our equipment will malfunction throughout this episode. I apologize in advance, but, advance, but shout out. To Joan Posada, it is her birthday weekend, and thus, that is why Juan is not here. Jim is in the house, though. Thank you, Jim, for being with us, sipping on a little bit of bourbon this evening. We're going to talk about venial sin. We're going to talk about uh, our weekend. Yes. Which will be a lot of fun. Figured that we would do that. And uh, talk a little bit about bourbon. Talk about this man care that I have today, which is a book, but it's a different type of book. It's not a Catholic book. Um, mm. that if it, is it good? Is it good? Is it a good book? Well, I wouldn't... Then, think, it's, then it's a Catholic book. <laughs> I was starting to say... I was about to say, like, do you think that I would try to promote a bad book? No. What is your I wanted implication to, I there? I just didn't want to... I didn't want to give away the, the punchline. You gotcha. Know? Okay. You got you to gotta trap, the, trap the victim before you spring the trap. 
You're the victim, and I trapped you. I got you to admit it's a good book. Therefore, it is a Catholic book. AKA, you're wrong. You, was, say, you said it wasn't, but it is. Okay. I'm going to let you have that. Thank you. No, you can't. It's, oh, yeah, very kind of you. After I earned it fair and square. Yes. Well, these guys are confident they're going to heaven. I think Amen Corner said it best in 1969. Uh, if paradise is half as nice as the strained performative male banter that you make me do, who needs either place? Fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> so, um, David Niles and Adam Minihan are products of the extreme Catholic education system, and I guess their minds were like overloaded with dogma to the point of being useless for anything other than being groomed for the priesthood. But for some reason, they avoided the collar. Uh, perhaps they wanted to avoid a life of celibacy or you know they got scared of getting some shitty missionary position somewhere or of wasting their lives jockeying uh, for position in some tedious seminary full of apologies for pedophiles and you know they managed to avoid the full holy calling uh, but instead got gifted this catholic radio station in oklahoma and the timings worked out really well for them because it put them in a prime position to carve out a nice niche for themselves in the podcasting boom. So these guys are not Taylor Marshall, Stormtrooper, overt Trump-loving Catholics. But they are still very good soldiers of the faith who wished the church would have just told them clearly who to vote for in November. They are not Taylor Marshall, but they are still a holy pube away from joining their evangelical brothers and going full American Taliban on the rest of secular America. They didn't say vote Trump outright, that's too unpalatable, but they are clear that the one issue of abortion of which they and their community have been bombarded with propaganda on for years is unsurprisingly the only thing that matters to them. You know, you listen to them and you realise they're like ready to go full Nazi for what is maybe like a 5% chance of overcoming the will of the people and overturning Roe v. Wade. So I think there's probably the exact same show uh, like this in Mumbai and Karachi or Iran or somewhere that preaches essentially the same pack of lies, uh, but to a different choir. Probably, you know, they probably start the show sampling something else or talking about a movie or making a joke of the day or something. So they have shows covering all the various aspects of the Catholic dogma and they constantly repeat the mantra, we're on God's side. Uh, with the dead-eyed inhumanity of robots. One episode uh, uh, covering how to uh, evangelize in a non-creepy way was uh, deeply ironic, since they are evangelizing in a deeply weird and creepy way. Have a scotch. We're on God's winning team. And I don't think they understand the core point of evangelism is not to win new converts to the faith but it's psychological make work to keep you engaged in the myth of your own cult you know it just wraps you up ever more in the sunk cost fallacy and when you get rejected 
you you feel you know the the warmth of companionship back in the warm arms of the cult again you know and you double and triple down in mental time energy and resources to the point you can never get away from the sunk cost fallacy and you can never see the stars with clear eyes or look at your own child's face without thinking uh, of uh, of the white magic carpenter there is no way to evangelize that is not weird and creepy because what you are selling is weird and creepy oh excuse me that's weird yeah would you like to buy some magic beans uh, no, uh, how how did you... Magic beans is the only way you can get to heaven. I, I don't believe that and I don't want any. You will burn in hell for all eternity. Um, I, I, no, I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't want any. I'm a doctor in magic bean theory. You have to listen to me. Oh, you're a doctor, are you? Where did you get your doctorate? Let me guess. The Magic Bean University of Baton Rouge. How did you know that? Are you Satan? Okay, bye-bye. Get away from the door now. Go on. Off my property. I have a gun. Sorry about that. So where was I? Oh yes, the Catholic Man Show. Um, get some very fine, proud boys marching on Charlottesville. And a Brett Kavanagh. Sometimes I had too many beers. Sometimes others did. I liked beer. I still like beer. And a big bag of magic holy foreskins. Okay. It's been quite a trip listening to all these uh, Catholic podcasts. But here we are. We finally made it. The end of level boss, a superstar in the English speaking Catholic world. I'm talking none other of the Bishop Robert Barron, known as the Bishop of the Internet after his crazy popular YouTube videos and his Word on Fire ministry, which has a podcast outlet, recycling all his carefully constructed evangelism and pseudo academic defences of his medieval and ludicrous but highly profitable faith. Well, in the um, sixth chapter of Mark's Gospel, we find the account of Jesus sending his disciples out on mission. They're going to preach, they're going to heal. But the first thing he tells them is, you have authority over unclean spirits. When they return from mission, the first thing they tell him is, we cast out many demons in your name. Now, when I was coming of age, I mean, even in the seminary, that kind of language was seen as, oh, kind of primitive superstition, talking about devils, demons. Or maybe we tried to put a sort of literary spin on it. It was a, a symbol for um, evil. It was a personification of evil in the personal or institutional sense. Now, here's the thing. That approach just doesn't do justice to the Bible. The Bible knows all about personal sin. It's very clear about that. It also knows about institutional disorder and dysfunction, very clearly. But it knows about a third level, a third dimension. Look, you can probably tell um, that I've listened to about as much of this as I can stand uh, these past couple of weeks. And it's starting to make me feel kind of nauseous, to be honest. It's kind of like I'm locked up in uh, the loony bin with these people selling their three-tier vision of the world. 
with angels and a devils and a belief in exorcism. But this guy, you know, got to hand it to him. He is super slick. And he does a great job of marshalling the faithful while trying to reach new territory. And uh, that's why he's the front man for the 12-part PBS show on Catholicism. And that's why he's got a weekly show on WGN, who's the first priest to get such a thing in decades. Symptom of the times, I think. People are really reaching for the opium uh, in, in, in every kind of way. The 2016 election, bombarded with misinformation. Help Jesus beat the devil, vote Trump. Join the stormtroopers or be called unpatriotic. Because God is on our side. On a personal level, he's doing really well. He has power, and it's a good ride for him. He takes the money and paints you saved. And and let's look at the fruits of his work, shall we, these past four years, when we have had this disgusting would-be dictator at the head of our government, a man so provenly corrupt and so profoundly lacking by any moral standard, it's incredible to understand how anyone could support him. A man who's whipped up race war to hide his corruption and uh, had launched an insurrection in an attempt to cling to power. What has Bishop Robert Barron done as recently as October, right before the election? Well, he appeared with Trump and Barr at the National Prayer Breakfast and provided the keynote address after him, legitimising uh, Trump and Barr's horrible message and platform with to his own gigantic following and why would he do this well you know the church is very conservative it exists throughout its lifetime in supporting existing power structures it always has and feeding off them and growing taking a little bit more growing taking a little bit more growing and then of course um what does he get from platforming trump well, he gets access to all the Trump support. Might chisel off a few evangelicals into his churches. Evangelicals who were getting a bit put off by the uh, the screaming hellfire rhetoric of their preachers. And then, well, new information came out last week um, that the Catholic Church took billions in aid uh, in the first round of the COVID stimulus paycheck protection program. It was revealed by an investigation from the Associated Press. I will link to it uh, in the transcript. You know, it's not surprising. As usual, whenever you follow the money, the story is depressingly familiar. So how much of these billions went as payment for the church to legitimate Trump at every uh, goose step of the way? To legitimize Trump and dull the conscience of their flock. And of course, you know, we, we probably won't find out a direct quid pro quo because, you know, the people in charge, Biden and Nancy, will look the other way because they're good Catholics. They're not interested in fighting the faith. And there'll be no oversight. Nobody will make sure that any of the taxpayer money that, uh, that has gone, taxpayer money, our money, has gone to them will go to pay off the billion-dollar abuse settlements. You know, the, the church up in uh, Rochester, New York, just filed for bankruptcy. They're trying to wheedle the way out of all this stuff. And, of course, that money's just going to go to uh, all the white Catholic schools that do a very good job of shielding white power 
and dominating resources uh, for white people to the detriment of uh, suspiciously and constantly underfunded uh, black public schools. It's a terrible state of affairs, really. So let's look at what, you know, Bishop Robert Barron did in this National Prayer Breakfast speech broadcast in which he platformed Barr and Trump right before the election uh, at the end of a horrible summer of strife where hundreds of thousands were dying from COVID, uh, compounded by malicious incompetence uh, from the president. Do you think the bishop used his position on this stage to speak for the downtrodden, to issue a rebuke for those suffering at the sharp edge of the horrible rhetoric of Trump, stirring up violence against minorities? No, of course he didn't. In that big moment, he invoked and misrepresented Thomas Jefferson to further weaken and attack the separation of church and state, as if the billions that we'd just given to the church wasn't enough, because it's never enough. And then he went on to whine about the attack on statues of slave-owning murderous elites. He spoke not for living people, the oppressed. He came out with his word on fire to protect statues. He did not speak up for the kids in cages. He did not speak up for the butchered black men at the hands of racist cops. He spoke up to defend the statues. To be honest, I'm so tired of this stuff. He just fucking disgusts me. The only hell is the one the Catholic Church has played a big part creating here on earth through colonial genocides from priests like Junipero Serra and through the lies and crusades of the Middle Ages, through twisting morality for hundreds of years and tying the church's business interests to fascist regimes over and over and over again, enriching yourself one stolen penny and golden crucifix at a time. The devil does operate on lies, as you've said in one of your most popular YouTube videos. But the thing is, he's your creation. And there are no bigger liars than all you religious charlatans preying on the innate goodness of humanity, as laid out quite expertly by historians like Yuval Noah Harari in books like Sapiens. So let's look at your own scripture, shall we? I will sully my hands with it once more. Uh, your Saint Paul in Galatians exhorts you to check the spiritual fruits of your actions. And what are the fruits of the Catholic Church over 2,000 years? Or even the past four years? You stand in the way of science. You spread fear and the guilt and sin. You lower the intellectual level of humanity and you exploit it. You platform Trump and cheer on his insurrection. You take money from the public purse and you stockpile it to further your own agenda. You are the hand behind the throne of the rich and the parasite in the brain of the violent. And it's way, way past time to condemn all your voices and ideas to the trash can of history. Word on Fire podcast gets an evil empire. And another cover-up. 
the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse just published a damning report alleging that Cardinal Vincent Nichols, who was the leader of the Catholic Church in England and Wales, repeatedly prioritized the reputation of the church over the welfare of child sex abuse victims. Caught by surprise or peddling lies? Tonight, the 7 Eyewitness News I-Team exposing decades worth of secrets in the Buffalo Diocese. Good evening. Two telling numbers set the table here. 65. That's how many Buffalo area priests now stand accused of some form of sexual misconduct. And 45. That's at least the number of years bishops of Buffalo have been feigning surprise about sex abuse allegations. We can now say definitively they've been feigning surprise thanks to explosive internal documents you're about to see. The stories of survivors and the details of the 884-page grand jury report are difficult to hear. Father Robert Mosliner groomed his middle school students for oral sex by telling them how Mary had to lick Jesus clean after he was born. The two-year investigation lays out in graphic detail allegations against more than 300 priests involving more than 1,000 children. Though the Attorney General says for all the horrific stories of abuse spanning seven decades, there are probably more victims who didn't come forward. But after scandals in Boston, Dallas, and elsewhere, advocates say that's not enough. We're following the latest developments on Pope Francis as the global sex abuse crisis plagues the, the Catholic Church. There are growing questions over what Francis knew concerning abuse allegations. Former Vatican official Archbishop Vigano has demanded the Pope resign. He published a letter accusing Francis of covering up sexual abuse claims. And now a group of Catholic women are writing to the Pope to demand answers. We're mad and upset and humiliated. And what is at the root of the mismanagement and the corruption and, and the evil that we've been seeing in the Catholic Church is truly anyone who read any of the headlines or any of the Pennsylvania grand jury mm -hmm. report is just de demonic. Yeah. We believe in evil and this is evil, you know. Comrade Andy, thank you for the kind message following the meme storm about my mittens at the inauguration. My favorite one was where they showed me sitting by the guillotine as they beheaded Mitch McConnell. The detail on the costumes of the Obamas dressed as French revolutionary peasants was particularly well done. But yes, they screwed me out of the nomination, and now they mock me as they pretend a return to the polite brand of corrupt corporate governance is going to fix America. But we all need a laugh right now, and I'm happy my mittens and grouchy demeanor can play the role of Lear's fool to Joe's White House. And make no mistake, it was a good day of speeches, made up of complete sentences appealing to the better instincts of humanity rather than the base and violent lies we were all being poisoned on these past four years. But fine words butter no parsnips. 
You were the only one who spotted the hidden Tricotus messages in the stitching on the mittens. The coded names were Reality Winner, who should be freed immediately, Eric Garner, who was strangled for cigarettes by police under Biden's last administration, and Amy Coney Barrett, the Catholic conservative who replaced RBG on the Supreme Court, who Joe is totally happy with. Well, let them have their laughter. They think they dodged a bullet, but the problems of injustice, inequity, and inequality they profoundly failed to tackle during the Obama administration are still here and much, much worse. So, stand back and stand by, Comrade Andy. To quote Martin Luther Vandross King, you might say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. That's a wrap. If you like listening, please spread the word. Come join the group on Facebook or sign up for the transcript and newsletter on the website. And if you really want to help, please click the link, hit the tip jar, and buy me a beer for a couple of bucks. The jazz is provided by the amazing Mario Roms Interzone. I don't know who's providing your jazz, but I think you should switch to these cats. They've got a new album out. It's uh, it's incredible. Um, I'll tell you more about it in, uh, in the next show. It's been fun watching uh, watching you all on Facebook do the uh, flannuary uh, challenge. Well done, well done, baking all those flans. I'm impressed. You know, I'm I'm terrible in the kitchen. Um, I have a few specials. I cook a curry and a decent beef bourguignon decent spaghetti bolognese but baking flans kidding me so you know well done all of you taking part in, in flannuary and uh raising money for uh, for those uh, skinless weasels um it's incredible the work that you have done at selling those flans making those flans and, and taking pictures of them and posting them on facebook and instagram and raising money for skinless weasels is is just amazing, uh, amazing work, everybody. You're just beautiful people. Uh, bye bye bye.